We are continuing our journey through the book of Ephesians. You'll remember that a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Mark gave us a a whole 30,000-foot bird's-eye view of this book. Last week, we spent about an hour talking about two verses in the Bible, and today we're going to see if we can get from verses uh, 3 to 6 in chapter 1, and we're going to take a good part of the rest of this year to get uh, through the first half of the book of Ephesians. The first half of the book of Ephesians is Paul talking about just how good we have it because of who God is in our lives. And then the second half of the book, he starts talking about what that should actually look like for us, how we should live as a part of the body of Christ or in the church. And so we're going to spend the, the, the next few weeks and months talking about this. Basically, Paul preaches the gospel. He tells us about our relationship to God and who God is for us. And so I, I want to, I if I could, read to you our key text for today. Uh, we're going to go, we're going to begin in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It should be right up there on the screen behind me. You can read this. Uh, I'm actually going to kind of jump around from translations today. It might be a little bit helpful for us, but I'll read this beginning in the CSB with a Christian Standard Bible. Uh, and it says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, In Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us. In the beloved one. Now, Paul has a way of kind of saying a lot in uh, in about a sentence. He he has a way of doing like run-on sentences or or run-on thoughts for you know like an entire book. Paul is the guy that at different points it's kind of said like you know that guy Paul. It's really hard to understand. Uh, if, if you've ever read any modern theologians, Paul was kind of like the. The, the Dallas Willard of the day. Like when you read a Dallas Willard book, you're pretty sure that Dallas Willard might have taught you some things about God, but he definitely taught you that you don't know anything about God, right? And that's kind of like what reading Paul can be like sometimes. You feel like you get to the end of a paragraph and you go, okay, now what did you just say? And so it's important that we actually take our time and move slowly through this book because Paul just said a ton of stuff just in verses 3 through six. But I want you to notice how Paul begins writing about how God's people are blessed. In fact, that's really the key theme of not only just today's message, but really this entire uh, first section of Paul's letter to the people in, in Ephesus. He, he roots all of this idea of blessing in one specific source. Did you catch where he said blessing comes from? Blessing comes from God, right? And what kind of blessing comes from God? All spiritual blessings. So here's here's what Paul is saying just in a nutshell. He's saying that you've never been blessed in a spiritual way that didn't come from God. He's the source. He's the root. He's the giver of all spiritual blessings. Uh, yesterday, I did something hard that is a part of my job as a pastor. It's, it's one of the most difficult things that I have to do and, and get to do. 
Um, but it also ends up being one of the most rewarding things that I, I get to do as a pastor. Yesterday, I had the honor of officiating the memorial service for Jeff Emenheiser. You may know Jeff. Jeff started attending our church earlier this year. You may also know his brother, David, who's a part of our church and has been for a long time. Um, but this, this just happened yesterday. We were just, we were just honoring and celebrating his life. And, and at that service, like every other memorial service that I have ever led or that I've ever been to, there was one element that happens at all other memorial services. We paused for a moment to hear somebody read a eulogy. You've probably heard a eulogy read before, uh, and, and one of Jeff's oldest friends, Matt, came up, and he read a eulogy that he had written that honestly was one of the most beautiful, well-written eulogies I've ever heard in all of my years of ministry. Uh, he just did such a good job of capturing the heart of what a eulogy is. And, and at every memorial service that I ever lead, I, I transition into that part where we talk about a eulogy and where we hear the eulogy being read. I, I do it the same way, and I did it yesterday, by defining the term eulogy. Because often we say these words and we don't actually know what they mean, and so we find ourselves in a moment and we don't understand the importance of the moment that we're in because we didn't understand the title that was given to the moment. So I think it's important that we understand in moments like that the word eulogy actually means something. It, it, it comes from a word which means praise or good words. So yesterday I said this, and I'll say it to you now, that to read or to hear a eulogy is to hear or to read the good words or the praise about a person's life. So listening to that moment is, is a way of honoring the impact that that person had on the world. So when Matt stood up and read the eulogy that he had written about his friend Jeff, he was standing in front of a group of people who came to honor, and he was leading us through what it sounds like to praise a man's life, to, to give honor and to read the good words about Jeff's life. And I got to tell you, I was standing right behind Matt while he was reading that, and I was just overwhelmed by how much I, 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 was, I was thinking, man, this guy was blessed. And this guy was a blessing in the world around him. So I say all of that because I, I think you might actually be interested then to know that the word eulogy appears three times in our key text today. Listen to it again and see if you can catch it. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. I'm not even going to keep reading because just in verse 3, they're all right there. Three times. God uses the word blessed three times right there. Uh, Paul uses the word blessed. I, I guess God used it because he inspired Paul to write it. Anyway, let's not get bogged down in that. The Greek word is eulogia. And it's where we get the word eulogy in English. And that word actually means, like I said, it's it's to, to praise, to say the good words, or to recognize that somebody or something is blessed. You might even say it's, it's, it's an idea or an image of giftedness. So you could actually paraphrase verse 3 like this. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is a gift who has gifted us with every spiritual gift in the heavens in Christ. That's what Paul is trying to get across as he says God is blessed. Or I actually like how the New Living Translation uh, writes verse 3, it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So Paul is saying, and this is really setting the tone for how he's going to talk to us 
for a good chunk of the first half of this letter to his friends in Ephesus. He's saying, number one, that God is simply blessed. You can't add blessing to him. You can't take blessing away from him. That the the existence of God is as a blessed being. He is just blessed. Just you have to just deal with that. You can't do anything to change it. This is just part of the character of God. In the same way that we say God is love, we also say God is blessed. And the second thing that we could say that Paul is saying here is that God is the source of all blessing. You might be familiar with James chapter 1, verse 17, which says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. This is the same Father that Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 1. It comes down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. What James is reassuring us of is that when he wrote those words and when Paul wrote the letter to the people in Ephesus and said that God is the source of blessing, James is saying, and this God never changes. So when he was the source of all blessing hundreds and thousands of years ago, in 2021, after everything that we've been through and all of the uncertainty in the world, God is still the source of blessing today. And so, so first and foremost, we should learn this lesson that if we're looking to be blessed by any source other than God, we're looking in the wrong place. God is the source of blessing. Now, that's not to say that other things can't make you happy, but happiness is circumstantial. Things like blessing and joy are rooted in who God is, and they only actually come in their true sense from God. Everything else is a counterfeit. And it's circumstantial, meaning that when your circumstances change, your happiness will go away. If you're pursuing comfort, when your circumstances change, if you're not pursuing comfort from God, your comfort will also go away, right? So, by the way, Paul says that he doesn't hold back, that God doesn't hold back. He he doesn't just give a little bit, right? God doesn't offer some blessings. What kind of blessings does he offer? All spiritual blessings. All of them. So my friend Espy doesn't get two-thirds of the blessings, and then somebody else who isn't as great as Espy only gets one-third of the blessings. Espy gets 100% of all spiritual blessings, and so does Teresa, and so does Mark, and thank God, so do I, and so do you, if you meet the standard for being a blessed person, which we'll talk about in just a second. So Paul elaborates on this, by the way. In typical Paul fashion, he's going to say this one thing that we read in verse 3, and then he's going to go, now let me talk about that in a really long and confusing way. And so we're going to try to unpack what I could say are probably at least three ways that we could say that Paul says that we are blessed in the rest of verses 4 through 6. So this is what we're going to spend the rest of our time on today, talking about the way Paul says we are blessed by God the Father. My hope today is that by the end of this message that you'll understand a little bit more about God's desire to bless you, and then also that you would know what Paul thinks your response should be. Because it's in there. It's actually in verse 6 is God's uh, or Paul's idea about how we should respond. But, but let's start at the beginning. The first of these three blessings that I want to talk about, the first of these three blessings that I think that Paul highlights for us that come from God is that we are chosen. Can we do an old, old school church thing for a second? Can you just say with me, say chosen? Doesn't it feel like you're back at church, like 2020 never happened? Like, 
who just said chosen together. Didn't that, I don't know if that did something for you psychologically, but when you just do old school church traditions, maybe that helps you find some peace, like, the, like we can actually move forward in the world. I don't know if you needed that today. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> Paul's pointing out God's design for your life. He's pointing out God's purpose for your life. Did you know that God has a will for your life? And, and, and Paul is pointing to that. And the way that he begins to talk about that is he says, before the world began, God chose you. And he chose you in a specific way to be chosen in Christ. Being chosen by God is significant because we had chosen something different. In other words, we were choosing to be not in Christ, and we can be blessed if we choose to be in Christ and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but, but, but if we choose to be in Christ, God says, oh, I chose that for you too. Our problem is that we naturally choose other things than being in Christ. Like Colossians chapter 2 says in verse 13, it says, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature uh, was not yet cut away. Then God make you, made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. And verse 15, he says, in the same way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Paul is saying that our sin separates us from God and it leaves us spiritually dead. But God... But God chooses to offer dead people a chance to come alive. Right? And and, and this powerful demonstration of his love for us can be seen in Romans 5.8. It says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God is not waiting for us to get our act together in order for him to choose us. He's not looking around the world going, who are the people who are behaving appropriately? Those are the ones I'm going to choose. If that was the standard, he would choose zero people ever. Because none of us match up to God's standard. Instead, he's saying, who are the people who will receive my choosing of them? We'll talk about that again in a minute. Who are the people who will receive my love for them? Those are the people that I'll just apply my standard onto them as if they had lived up to it because I choose them. See, when Paul is saying God chose you before the foundation of the world, he's saying that before you were even a thought, God loved you. God loves you now, and before you ever even thought of him, he loved you. And when you were thinking about him, but doing your own thing in rejection of him, he still loved you. Now, if that's mind-blowing and humbling, then you're listening. It should be mind-blowing and humbling, because God loved us when we didn't deserve it. God didn't choose us because we're a special group of people. We're special because he loves us. We're chosen because of his love. And in fact, we can only understand and give love because he loved us. That's what 1 John 4, uh, 4.19 says. We love because he first loved us. And, th- and then we learn that God's choice is extended to everybody 
when we read Paul's letter to his apprentice, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul writes to Timothy, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. How many people did he urge him to pray for? All of them. A hundred percent of people. Like Sharon was saying earlier, can we, can we pray for literally everybody? If you really dig down into the weeds of that, God is actually encouraging you through Paul, through Timothy, through Scripture today in 2021. Can you pray for your enemies? Can you pray for the terrorists? Can you pray for your political opponents? Can you pray for, this might actually be the hardest one, your boss, your neighbor, your spouse, that sibling that doesn't know the Lord and that drives you crazy, those people who don't agree with you about all of the stuff that's going on sociopolitically, right? Let's, okay, let's move on. Let's not talk about that. Okay. No, the question is, will you pray for all people? Paul goes on in 1 Timothy chapter 2, or chapter, yeah, chapter 2 in verse 1, he says, ask God, as you're praying for all people, here's what you should pray for them. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf, which is the kind of prayer that empathizes, puts yourself in their situation and says, God, would you do for them what I would ask you to do for me if I were in their shoes? That's what intercession is. And then, and then, and then he does a hard one. He says, and give thanks for them. And some of us checked out just right there. But he goes on. He says, pray this way for kings and presidents and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Here's the key and where this becomes relevant to what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 1. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Why do we pray for all people? Because God wants all people to be saved. And if you think for a second about all the junk you did and God still saved you, now you can think about all the junk that fill-in-the-blank person did and God would still save them. And his command to you is to think about them in the same way he thinks about them, that he chose them. So God wants us to pray for everyone because his love chooses everyone. It always has. It always will. This is how we all got here. The goal of his love is that we, like Paul says in Ephesians 1, that we would be holy and blameless in love before God. So when we choose our own way of living, we separate ourselves out from God. But God's choice for us would be that we would become holy and blameless. We do this as we submit our lives to him, as we put our faith in the person of Jesus Christ as not only our Savior, but also the Lord or the ruler of our lives. He chooses this for us because he loves us more than we could possibly imagine. He loves you more than you love yourself, which is a considerable amount. He loves you more than you could even understand. So we are blessed by God because we are chosen by God. And secondly, we are blessed by God because we are predestined. Now, that's a word that I recognize that in a Pentecostal church doesn't come up very often, but we're going to talk about it because it turns out it's in the Bible. 
any, any biblical scholars or anyone who's read any church history, or you're going to understand why the word predestination is going to start a debate. But just, just so you know, the word predestination has been starting debates for generations. If you've ever heard of a guy named John Calvin, he started a whole debate, and, and it's been going on for a hot minute, like since the Reformation. Basically, since we weren't Catholics anymore, this debate has been happening around this one word, predestination. What in the world does it mean? So, you know, no big deal. I'm just going to try to explain all of that in one sermon point. <laughs> Pray for me. But here's what, here's what Paul actually wrote. In verse 5, he says, God, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So we could say that the blessing of predestination is something that has been debated by Christians for generations, but it obviously is something that is in God's heart for us. So Paul put this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he put this word in his letter to the people in Ephesus. So the word that Paul uses here, that we translate predestined, or in other translations it might say something like he chose us beforehand. That's like what the New Living Translation would say. What that, what that word or what that phrase actually means is to predetermine or to mark out beforehand. Many Bible scholars, people who would put themselves in a camp called Calvinists, remember that guy John Calvin that I mentioned earlier, uh, these people would call themselves Calvinists. I have many friends who are Calvinists. I, I personally am not a Calvinist, but I have many friends who are Calvinists, and I love them and I respect their theology, even if I disagree with some of it because we agree about Jesus, Right? And I have many other friends who would be called Arminians, because they're on the other camp. This guy, uh, Arminius, came up in, in church history, and he's like, John Calvin, you're crazy. And so he started the debate back and forth, right? Just for the record, I'm not an Arminian. I have many friends who are Arminians, and I would agree with them on most, but not all, of their theology. In, in complete honesty, I think I stand somewhere in the middle. And somewhere in the middle that says, does God choose us? beforehand and whatever you decide, just what was God's will. And, and we have absolute free will, and we get to choose or unchoose God at our liberty. Those are the kind of the two extreme camps of, of this argument. And I would stand somewhere in the middle that says that God probably has a way of doing both of these things because he's God and you're not. I'm going to attempt to explain what I mean by that. The, the Calvinist camp, we would say something along the lines of that, that, that predestination being inserted in Scripture here means that God has already determined who will be saved and that everyone else will be cast out or damned to eternal hellfire. I, I recognize that I've said that in a very extreme way, but that is the theology of Calvinism, that there are people who just simply are not chosen by God. That's, that's a, a, a very boxed-in idea of what Calvinism would say. But the problem with this argument is that it gives God all of the power to choose, and it gives us absolutely no power to choose. If you read this verse in isolation, you could argue that what Paul was saying is that all of the weight is on this idea of predestination, that God has predetermined who will be in and who will be out. And out means you're dead forever. And if God didn't choose you, tough luck. But, but you have to remember the context of the letter that Paul was writing about. We talked about this last week. The first two verses of this letter are so vitally important, where Paul tells us exactly who he's writing to. He's writing to, he says, the faithful saints in the city of Ephesus. 
faithful saints. These are people who have chosen to follow God. This is how we define this term in Scripture last week, using the word to define itself. Faithful saints means these are people who have chosen by their own free will to follow God, to submit their lives to him. And even though the world keeps pulling them in all of these other different directions, they've stayed faithful. They held on to their sainthood or their belief or their, their faith in Jesus Christ as their only hope. So these are not robots without free will. But he also wasn't writing to all of the people in Ephesus. He was writing to those faithful saints. So Paul wasn't writing to all of the world saying, hey, some of you are chosen and some of you aren't. He was writing to people who made a choice and continue to make a choice to honor God with their lives. And he was saying, all of us, all of us, us is actually the word that's doing the heavy lifting here. We were predestined by God. If you're in the camp, you were predestined by God. Because he's writing to us. So I would say like this. All of us who showed up to Life Church today were predestined by God to, to show up to Life Church today. How can I say that? That sounds wild. Are you saying I didn't actually have free will? No, no, no. You have to remember that we're talking about a God who doesn't exist inside of time the way that we do. See, God created time, but he's not bound to time. Like, for example... You are stuck listening in this moment to me speak in a linear way. God has actually already heard the end of this sermon. I'm hoping he likes it. God's already there. God, is, God exists outside of time to the extent that he is currently at the beginning and the end of your life simultaneously, simultaneously while also currently at the cross at creation. God is not bound by time like, like we are. He is ever present, always present. Okay? Now, I'm not asking you to understand that, because if you could understand how God does that, then you are him. But, but this is who the God that we're talking about is. He's not bound by time like we are. So I want you to understand that the Think about the day that you prayed that prayer of salvation, you gave your heart to Jesus, right? Think about that moment. I want you to understand that for as surprised as you were, God was not in heaven going, oh, where's the book of life? i got to add a name. He was not shocked by your decision because he was already there before you were. So it's possible for God to look at you at the moment that you chose him and say, son, daughter, I'm so glad you chose me. Because I chose you so long ago. That it can be true that God gives us the free will to choose him while he simultaneously knows whether or not you will choose him. I cannot explain that to you in a way that will not leave you with more questions. But you literally can't explain anything about the character of God in a way that will leave you without more questions. That's actually part of the beauty of the invitation of studying who God is and the way he works with us and in the world, is that it should, it should come to, to our understanding that we just don't understand. It's like trying to explain the Trinity. I've got some fire illustrations about the Trinity, but every single one of them will always fall short because I'm trying to use earthly terms to explain something that is beyond earthly understanding. So God chose you before the foundations of the world. When, when the earth was still formless and void, 
in the pre-Genesis days, God chose you, and he extended his choice to every single person who would ever live because he loves and loved and will love every single person who will ever live. But because he loved and loves and will love us forever, he also gave us the free choice to choose him because love is meaningless unless it's a choice. It was not my, uh, uh, look, I get in trouble with my wife for saying stuff like this, but But Sharon is, Sharon is not the one. You understand? Like, she's my one. Ride or die. For life. Sharon's my wife, in case you didn't know. I'm married to that woman named Sharon back there. Okay. She's it. But I want you to understand that, like, the idea of, like, soulmates and having, like, a one actually takes away the power of my love for her. Because I had, if I had no choice in the matter but to marry Sharon, that's just that was the way God designed her. Like, it's just Tim doesn't get a choice. Then my marrying her is is, is an act of me becoming a, a soulless, choiceless robot who only does what was pre-written for my life. Now, it's actually more powerful. I dare say, more romantic. That I chose her. I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you. The way I look, there weren't a whole lot of choices. For me, she had so many choices. See how I brought that around? Yeah. (laughs) But the fact that we chose one another is what makes that powerful. See, God knew that you would choose him. He knew it. He knows it. He wrote your name in the book of life before you were ever born. And then he gave you the free will to choose. If you can understand how that works, you're probably God. You're not. Uh, let, me, let me actually use another illustration that might be helpful for you. Because one of the other words, when we talk about predestination, one of the other words that we use a lot is, is the word elect. So we say that the people who are Christians are, are the elect in Christ, or the elect chosen in God, right? I actually think that's a really helpful word. Think about an election. I know you don't want to think about elections anymore, but think about a presidential election. Let's just pretend we had good candidates who, like, you know, didn't stress us out. And, then so, and so we're coming up to a presidential election, and you are voters, which means you have choosing power as a voter, right? You have the power to choose who do you want to be your next president. And let's say that we all elect a, a president by our choosing power, which we call a vote, and then that person decides, you know what, I, I actually woke up t- the next day after the, the election results and I don't want to be the president anymore. See, as, as a nation, we wouldn't look at that person and go, well, tough luck, buddy, you have to be the president. What we would actually do is then figure out the line of succession that has to be, that, that's how it would work in this kingdom. But, but in God's kingdom, you actually have the same choice. In, in fact, we even have language for it. When a person is elected as the president, they don't automatically become the president right in that moment. They have to go through the process of, of, of being uh, sworn in. They have to uh, accept or approve the results of the election, right? And until then, we call them the president-elect, the person who was chosen to become the president. You might actually apply that to our Christian lives and say that every single person who is walking around 
in life pre-salvation decision. Like they haven't given their life to Jesus. You might say of those people that they are loved elect. Chosen elect. Saved elect. All of us. Every single one of us. Why? Because God chose all of us. The question is, will you show up and receive the results of God's voting power for you when he chose you, will you respond by saying, yeah, I'll do that job. What's the job? Just submit your whole life and receive his love and grace and don't feel bad about your sin anymore, but, you know, try not to do it. Will you take that job? Well, guess what? You don't have to because you're chosen elect. And when you say yes, God says, I knew you'd say that because you were predestined. I knew, I knew you would say that. I knew you would say because I wrote your story with you, because like, I love you, because I saw it before, because I'm smarter than you, and because I don't live in time like you do. I'm not asking you to understand that. What I'm actually asking you is to think about how much that means God loves you, that he could have taken away your freedom to choose him, but he gave it to you because he loves you, and he wants your choice to be with him forever to mean something, because he loves us. God has already voted for everyone. Mark 16, 16 says, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses, like they, they don't agree with the election results, they will be condemned. It's not because some, God chooses some people and he's like, nah, you guys kind of suck. It's based on your choice to be chosen. So the question about predestination is not, did God choose me, but will I choose to be chosen? Will I accept the results of God's choice? God's election is for everyone, but not everyone will respond. This is why it's important for us to share the gospel. This is why it's important for us to tell the story of Jesus. Because the results of, this, of, of, of the election are in. God voted for everyone. But the turnout for who shows up to receive the results is still in the balance. Right? This is why it's important for us to share the good news. So the blessing of predestination is not simply that God chooses us, but that he made the legal and binding way for us to choose to enter into his kingdom. So we are blessed because we are chosen and because we are predestined. And then thirdly, we are blessed because we are predestined to be adopted. I love the way that Paul said that. We are predestined to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Or in the New Living Translation, it says God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And then, and then he puts this caveat on there. This is what God wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. This is so good. God did not just choose us to be alive he chose us to be adopted, to be a part of his family. Now, adoption would have been a familiar term in, in Paul's time. In fact, there was a really popular story about this regarding one of their Roman rulers. About 50 years before Paul wrote this letter to the people of Ephesus, there was a guy named Julius Caesar. Have you heard of Julius Caesar? Not the pizza guy, the Roman ruler. Okay, so Caesar had a nephew named Octavius. Octavius was a, 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 he was a warrior guy. He like kind of overthrew some, some 
people that Julius Caesar had as enemies, and he really loved Octavius, his nephew. And, and Julius Caesar knew one day he was probably going to die. He actually ended up meeting a very untimely death, or timely, depending on what size of, side of politics you were on at the time. But Caesar, uh, Julius Caesar comes to die, and it turns out that in his will that he had prepared beforehand, that, that he had legally written in there language that was adopting his nephew Octavius. So his nephew Octavius, who was his, his just family guy out there, but, but not a part of the like, immediate succession plan, he became his son by law, by adoption. And as a result, he became the next ruler of Rome. You might know him as Caesar Augustus. They actually changed his name. His entire identity changed because he was adopted by his uncle and became a son. And as a son, he actually became a king. Now, you might think, well, that's a cute story, but, you know, they didn't have Twitter and trending topics back then. Well, remember, this is 50 years later, and in Ephesus, there were actually statues of both Julius Caesar and Caesar Augustus. So I promise you, this well-known story of the day would have resonated for the people of Ephesus when Paul starts writing about adoption I just wonder if some, they, I de guarantee you they would have understood what Paul was talking about and the implication that he was making. But I wonder if somebody in the churches, as that letter was being passed around to all the churches in Ephesus, all those houses where people were gathering to worship, I wonder if somebody would have been like, oh, this is kind of like that guy Octavius that became Caesar Augustus, isn't it? That's kind of like, I wonder if Paul is actually saying, this could, could have been one of the early Ephesian sermon illustrations. That's like Caesar Augustus was adopted and became the king, which meant that because he was called a son, even though he wasn't a son by, by blood, he was a son by law. Through the death of the one who made him a son, he became a king and he got all of the rights and the privileges and the power and the identity that came along with it. So when Paul says that God chose us to be adopted, he's saying before Jesus died, he predetermined that we would get to take on his identity and become heirs of his will. Because this is what pleased the Father. So all Octavius had to do was receive his adoption. He, he, didn't, he didn't have to do anything. He, he just had to find out that, that his new dad decided that. And then go, I accept these terms. Which, if you're going to become the king of Rome, why would you not accept those terms? In the same point, if you're going to become a joint heir with Jesus Christ and a son or a daughter of the Most High God to be called a part of a royal priesthood, why would you not accept those terms? You mean I don't have to earn my way into salvation anymore? You mean I get all of the spiritual blessings just added to me? Why would you not accept those terms? This is what Jesus did for us. L listen to the way John describes it. The same idea at the beginning of his gospel. In John chapter 1, he says, He, that's Jesus, came to his own people. Those were the people of Israel, the Jews. And his own people did not receive him. They didn't accept the terms. But, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right 
legal word. He gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. God had chosen the people of Israel. They didn't accept the term. God extends the terms to all mankind, which for the record, he had predetermined would be his plan all along. He knew this is how it was going to turn out. So the blessing of adoption is that it brings us into God's family. And if we're in God's family, we'll actually talk about this again in a few weeks, that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. You might even call that an inheritance, that you get to inherit everything that belongs to your new dad. And praise God for that. And praise God for that. I am in a church of people who understand what that and praise God for that. Sorry, that's not rhetorical. I was inviting you to a moment. So, so you were dead. Now you're alive because you're a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And then I said, and praise God for that. There you go. Go ahead and praise God for that. <laughs> you know, like right now and tomorrow and the next day and every day for the rest of your life. Paul tells us that the results are in. If you receive the results, you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And then he says, here is how you should respond to that. Oh, did I get ahead of myself a little bit? He, he says, so we praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. That's, that's the result. Did, did you catch it in the CSB? He says, what's the end? The end of this is to the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glorious grace. The response of being blessed by the blesser is that we would bless. The response of receiving the gift from the gift is that we would give back a gift. The response of of receiving the good news from the source of all good news is that we would say good words back to the one who is the good word. This is why when I hang out with people, I'm like, let's talk about the gospel. And then, and then they don't, like, they're just dead face. Then I'm like, oh, sweetheart, you just don't understand it yet. If you really understood what this meant, this, this would mean that you, were, that you were chosen, but because you didn't make the right response to the choice, that you had decided you wanted to live outside of the eternal presence of a God who loves you and made a way for you to live in his presence as a son or a daughter of the most high God and that all of the reasons why you thought you weren't eligible, God said, I covered that with my son so you don't have to worry about that anymore. You get to actually just receive all of the goodness that I have for everyone because you chose to be chosen. And our response should be to praise the chooser. To say thank you. To say, God, I bless your name because you blessed me. Now, I want you to understand that when you bless God, you're not adding blessing to him. He's blessed whether you bless or not because he just is. Right? When you give something to God, he doesn't go, oh, I really needed that. You give your blessing to God and he says, good, that's healthy for you. That's how you should respond. Now, lest we think that the only way to respond is to clap and shout and hoot and holler and run laps in Pentecostal churches, it's a a great way to respond. 
to write songs about it, to write poetry about it, to, 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 to make sure everybody around you knows that you're excited about it. Yes, this should impact your emotions. But also, to, to give a praise to God means that you live according to His glorious standard. To give a praise to God is to bless Him with your tomorrow, if, if you get to have one of those. To bless Him with the moment that you're in right now, to be present with Him, to honor Him, to, to, to not chase after other things that you know cannot satisfy you and will not bring you blessing. To bless God is to live according to His blessed standard. We don't, we don't praise God so he'll be more blessed. We do it in gratitude for how blessed he has already made us. And we do that in all kinds of ways. You, you might even say that this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they would have life and life overflowing. Like Jesus didn't come so that you could know you won't go to hell when you die and everything else is supposed to be boring until then. He came so that you could be blessed and be grateful for being blessed and that you could be a blessing to the blesser and to the world around you. The blessing of God is that the Father that is through Christ has chosen you and you get to be alive. To be blessed so that you could be a blessing to him and to the world. So, so the questions for all of this today as we, as we begin to, con or as we continue to move through the book of Ephesians, the questions for today are number one, are you blessed? Are you blessed? And are you a blessing? It's almost like this is what Jesus meant when he said that all of the law and all of the prophets hang on this singular two-part idea that you would love God with all of yourself and that you would love your neighbor as yourself. That you would recognize that because you are blessed, you bless God, and because you are blessed, you bless those around you. It's interesting that this book that God wrote kind of always says the same thing to us, isn't it? But are you chosen? I mean, the answer to that theologically is yes, but have you chosen to be chosen? Have you received the predetermined, pre-written, pre-planned love and grace of God for your life? You do that by placing your faith in him. And then the, the follow-up question is, but are you living as if that changes something about you? Are, are you? are you allowing God to teach and shape your life? Are you allowing God to change the way you think about the world, or are you inviting the world to change the way you think about God? Because only one of those is a blessing to the God who made you. In other words, are you a disciple or a student or a follower of Jesus? Not just a guy or a girl who says, yeah, I accepted Jesus. I prayed in a church one time. As if you cast a magic spell that is going to save you from eternal hellfire. I promise you it doesn't work like that. I'm sorry for all of the times you heard that if you just raise your hand in church and pray a prayer and then go, living, go about living as if nothing has changed, I'm sorry that you ever heard that that was the way it works. For the record, Jesus never led a single person through a prayer of salvation. He said, come and follow me. Come and be different. 
Come and let me change your life. Come and let my blessings overwhelm what you thought was blessing you. And come and bless me in response because that is good for you. So I'd like to invite you to close your eyes. And I'd like you to take a moment, and as you think about your life, the invitation of the day is that you would receive God's blessing. And that you would receive God's invitation to be a blessing. And as you, with your eyes closed, you're thinking about your life. The questions on the table are, are you a disciple of God? Are you blessed? And are you a follower of God? Are you a blessing? I don't know the heart of every single person in this room, so I'm going to lead a, a moment of prayer that if the answer to that first question, are you a disciple of Jesus, is no, what a great opportunity for you to turn that no into a yes by receiving the grace and the blessing of God. I would love it if every single person in this room would pray this with me now. You could pray this with us online. And if you have never made a decision to become a follower of Jesus, then let this prayer change something about you. Would you say these words with me? Say, God, I believe that you chose me and that you love me. I believe Jesus is your son and that he died and rose again so that I can be part of your family. So I put my trust in you. I receive your love and your adoption. Thank you for this blessing. Help me to live in a way that would bless you and the world around me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before you do anything else, I just want to invite you to take another moment, and if there's anything else on your heart after hearing a teaching like this that you would need to talk with God about, I just want to give you a moment, just in the stillness as you take a deep breath and just say, God, maybe there's something else I need to say to you right now. Maybe there's some kind of sin issue that you're wrestling with, some kind of disobedience in your life, some kind of way that you haven't blessed God in return, and you just want to make a commitment to him. I just want to invite you right now to say anything else in another moment of prayer that you would need to say to God. Go ahead and do that now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you bless us as we give our hearts and our prayers to you in this moment? Thank you, Jesus. The Holy Spirit, move in this place. Move on our hearts as we submit to you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And then finally, Life Church, I pray this blessing over you today. May you know God as your Father. May you feel peace and confidence in knowing that you are chosen by God. May you experience the joy of spiritual blessings in Christ. May you be comfortable in giving God praise and blessing in response to his love for you. May you be blessed as you bless God every day, and may you partner with God to be a blessing to the world around you. And may you know the goodness and the gift and the joy and the peace that comes from knowing that you have chosen to be chosen. In Jesus' name, amen.